The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He was laid in a manger. He was born of a virgin. He was without sin. He is Christ the Lord. But around this wonderful story has grown up a mixture of myth 
mixed with truth. I am between now and Christmas going to try to separate out the myth from the truth. You may be shocked as you discover some of your most favorite ideas are just myth and are not of Jesus. I've titled this broadcast, Remember the Goal. The goal is not what the world would establish as the goal for Christmas. The goal is to prepare the way for the coming of Jesus Christ as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But we'll dive into that more later. As we begin, would you join me and let's pray. Our Father, I come in the name of Jesus, my Lord and my Messiah, my Savior. I ask that you would separate out in our minds the myth from the reality of our Christ, of our Lord, who was born in Bethlehem and placed in that manger. Lord, would you open our eyes and our ears that we could understand what that means for us today. For surely it must mean more than parties and tinsel and lights. It must mean eternity. And our task now, Lord, would you bless this broadcast today with your presence? Would you quicken us by your Holy Spirit? And would you open our hearts and our minds that we could grasp a hold of who Jesus came to be for us? I pray in your mighty name. Amen. I want to read for you several passages of Scripture that will begin to set the stage for understanding what it was that Jesus did when he came, and now how we need to begin to look at him instead of as a a pacifist, humanistic image adopted by our culture and trimmed with all of the myths of human flesh. We need to see Jesus. We need to honestly understand what the goal is and how we're going to walk toward that goal, how we're going to work for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. In Second Timothy, the fourth chapter, the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, in the presence of God 
and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead in view of his appearing and of his kingdom. I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths or fairy tales. And the greatest myth of the Christian church today is the myth of Christmas. Jesus was not born on November 20 or December 25. He was born in the fall. We're not even told when he was born. But we have adopted the myth of Christmas and made it into one of the greatest myths of our day, filled with rituals, Christmas trees, Christmas cookies, Christmas parties, Santa Claus, the North Pole, A whole myth of magic has risen up around Christmas. But listen to what the Apostle Paul says to Timothy, who is his adopted son in the faith. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. That is, the time when he will be beheaded by a a wicked Roman Caesar. Paul writes, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. So Paul is saying there's a race. He had a goal in mind. I want you to look with me at another passage of Scripture. It's found over here in the book of Philippians. Paul is writing in Philippians, the third chapter, verse 7. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, 
that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings becoming like him in his death and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead so part of the of the goal that paul is saying he has kept in mind he has remembered is that he is looking forward to the resurrection from the dead not that i've already obtained all of this or have already been made perfect that is without mistakes he's already without sin but now without mistakes mature totally mature grown up but i press on to take hold of that for which christ jesus took hold of me brothers i do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it but one thing i do forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead i press on toward the goal remember the goal to win the prize for which god has called me heavenward in christ jesus now all of us who are mature should take such a view of things and if on some point you think differently that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we already have attained. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I've often told you before, and now say again with fears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Please, he's speaking about Christian people. And he's saying these people have forgotten the goal. And now they have lounged back, and their stomach is their God. They want to comfort themselves with comfort food. They want to relax. They want to have a life in the world. He's saying their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers, you, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, this is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. The Apostle Paul is saying there is a very clear goal that we've been called to. And that goal is to prepare the way of the Lord for his coming. 
to preach, teach, and share the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Now, the writer of the book of Hebrews, which I believe was the Apostle Paul, in the 12th chapter, sums up this introduction that I'm giving to the birth of Jesus. Chapter 12, Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, well, what is this great cloud of witnesses? If we go back to chapter 11, we find who the great cloud of witnesses is composed of. Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Moses, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets, and many more. These are the great cloud of witnesses that surround us, watching eagerly to see what we will do. Since we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders. Literally in the Greek, Look, let us throw off everything we're holding in our arms. Let us throw off everything that we're holding in our arms. That which we're clutching to. This morning, I was sitting in the living room on a comfortable couch. Of course, the the chairs are set up in addition. And this past Sunday, they were all pretty well filled. A dear brother and his wife came. He's one of my Barnabas's. He's a son of encouragement. He's been listening for a number of years, and he came with his wife on Sunday. And then a dear sister came who's been listening for 11 or 12 years, she came to worship with us. And I know many more of you are going to come because you want an honest word of God and you want to be with those who are being prepared by the Holy Spirit for the pouring out of Pentecost. As I sat on the couch I said, Lord, I'm going to need more room in this living room. So this big couch, I'm probably going to give away, Lord. Would you show me who I should give it to? Because we're going to have to have room to set up more chairs. I don't want to have my arms wrapped around this couch. If we need the room for more people of God to come and hear the word, then I'm going to give that couch away. It's not precious to me. What's precious to me are God's people who come and are eager to hear the word of God, who are willing to say, I want Jesus. 
I don't have anything in my house that I've put my arms around and say, this is precious to me. A long time ago, I, I threw my television in the trash, a large screen, brand new Sony screen. That's been, dare I say, almost 30 years ago. It wasn't precious to me anymore. The Lord said, get rid of it. I talked with a sister this morning, and she told me, after I fasted for 40 days, and the Lord met me, I haven't turned my television back on one time because it has no interest for me. I want Jesus. Everything that saps up or soaks up your time and your energy or anything that stands in the way of you moving forward, remembering your goal. The goal of preparing the way for the Lord to come, to receiving the baptism of Pentecost. And I know that even as I say this, some of you have wrapped your arms around your new car or your new house or your clothes or friends. You've wrapped your arms around things that hinder your way with Jesus. He continues, and the sin that so easily entangles, literally in the Greek, it is the sin that stands around you dancing, asking for your attention. Now look, as we come to this whole Christmas season, the myth of Christmas, the myth of of Santa Claus, the the myth of, of the Christmas tree, the myth of all the decorations and the lights and the parties and the magic of Christmas. As we come to this myth, do you still have sin dancing, attracting you? and you reach out and you grab it. You see, there are two areas that I'm trying to address. You cannot understand the coming of Jesus as a baby in the manger if you still are hanging on to anything and hugging it to yourself and saying, I must have this to survive. This is, I'm proud of. Your past accomplishments, your your graduations from college or graduate school, your friends. Whatever you're hanging on to that you're hugging to yourself fills your arms and your hands so you have no room to reach out and take the baby who's now the Messiah, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You can't put your arms around Jesus when your arms are full of your own stuff your own pride. And then the sin. I'm shocked by the number of Christians who say to me, Pastor, I'm just, I haven't fully surrendered to Jesus yet. And I say to them, if not now, when? Well, I'm working on it. Stop working on it. 
You don't overcome sin by working on it. You overcome sin by just, Jesus said, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Jesus only knows overcoming sin by amputation, by surrender to him, by asking him to come in and live in you. And many Christians, I find, have gone so far on the journey with Jesus. And then they stop and they settle into their situation and grow comfortable not recognizing that the goal has not yet been achieved, which is to prepare the way of the Lord for his coming again. He says, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus not on the sin that's dancing around us saying, grab me, take me. It's bait from the devil. Don't take it. That television show is bait from Satan. Many of the TikTok videos and YouTube, it's all bait from the devil to lure you in to some wicked uncleanness. And the sin that dances and that which causes us to grab a hold of, of things in our arms that are precious to us that make it impossible for us to enter through the narrow gate and continue to walk on the narrow way. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary, the NIV says, but in the Greek, literally, it is so that you will not relax, that you will not grow sleepy, that you will keep watch, and you will not lose heart. You will not grow discouraged. He says, in your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves. He punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. Where is that found in the myth of Christmas? It's not, is it? The myth of Christmas is all about me and what I want for Christmas. Or about what I'm going to give somebody for Christmas to make me important, to make me somebody. No, the myth of Christmas is about me and mine. It's not about laying down my life for others. 
Now in this story, it begins with an angel. When an angel comes and interferes with Zachariah's life, he's an old man, he's reached the end of his years, he's nearing retirement, he's honored by Lot to go into the temple to offer the incense on the altar of burnt offering. This is the place where the prayers ascend before God with the incense. But Zechariah has long since stopped praying. He's given up. He's discouraged. He and his wife honestly ask the Lord to open her womb and give her a child. They remembered the stories of, of Abraham and Jacob, Isaac, all of them had wombs closed. And when they prayed, God opened the wives' wombs. By the way, he's still doing that today, if you'll pray. Zechariah is discouraged. But this is his probably last time he will offer incense, the prayers. The people outside are praying, large crowds. If you've ever been to the Wailing Wall, as I've been and watched as the precious brothers in, in their black garb and their caps stand praying before God, bowing before God. They're outside praying, and he offers, he offers the incense. And an angel appears. His name was Gabriel. He's not just an angel. He is the angel who stands in the presence of Almighty God. And he is commissioned by God to speak to Zechariah and say to him, I've been sent to speak to you to tell you this good news. He tells Zechariah that this young man that will be born to them will go before the Lord in the power and the spirit of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Remember the goal. The angel Gabriel gives the goal to prepare a people for the Lord. Zechariah, in his unbelief, answers the angel. How do I know what you're saying is true? Or in other words, prove it. His heart is filled with discouragement and unbelief. And he makes Gabriel angry. It's not safe to make an angel angry. They can bring judgment on you. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak 
until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true in their proper time. For nine months, Zechariah cannot speak. He is silent because of his angering. Gabriel, the angel who stands before the Lord God of heaven. Now, in the sixth month, that is the sixth month of Zachariah's wife's pregnancy, Elizabeth, once more, God sends forth Gabriel, this time to a dirty little town with nothing to attract our attention. I've been to Nazareth. It's still a dirty little town. Ugly. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. Now, in that day, when a virgin agreed to marry a man, for that first year, they were separate as he prepared that place. She was legally considered to be married, and if she were unfaithful, she would suffer stoning to death. This was a very serious matter. It was a life and death matter. Mary, who hears the angel say to her, Hello, greetings. You who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Now Mary is really troubled and she's terrified. An angel has suddenly appeared in her presence and the brilliance, the power, the word being spoken to her. She's troubled. She, she doesn't understand. But the angel says to her, Mary, stop being afraid. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son. You're to give him the name Jesus. Meaning, he will save his people from their sins. Verse 32, this is Luke 1, verse 32. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. And Mary asks the question, How will this be since, since I'm a virgin? Now, in the first instance, when Gabriel goes to Zechariah, his heart is filled with unbelief. And he wants to say, prove it to me. This can't be true. But Mary has a very different heart. Mary says, how do I cooperate? I want to tell you my prayer recently has changed. 
And my prayer to the Lord has been over and over, Lord, how do I cooperate with you in preparing the way for your coming? For Jesus is coming soon. A dear believer called me and shared with me a dream that she had the early hours of this morning. And it was about time. In the dream, she was crying out, What time is it? What time is it? I have to know what time it is. And she saw the devastation. She saw the destruction of people around her. And then she saw the time. And she saw the rising brilliance of Jesus coming in the clouds of glory. Our time is short. That was the import of the dream. Jesus is coming. The time is short. So her cry, Mary's cry is, Lord, how do I cooperate with you? Today, my cry is, Lord, how do I cooperate with you in accomplishing the goal? I will remember the goal of my life, which is to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. My goal in life is not to fill a bucket list of travel agendas. My goal in this life is not to make money and to build up my retirement and to be somebody and to be successful. My goal in this life is to prepare the way of the Lord. To prepare the way of the Lord for the coming of the Messiah in the clouds of glory, the risen Christ. We'll talk more about this later when we talk about the Great Commission of going and making disciples and teaching all men what he taught us. Your goal is not to get the best job you can get. Your goal is not to be successful in this life. Your goal is not to make money. Your goal is not to be somebody. If you are a Christian, all of those things are combined with a myth the humanistic myth of Christmas. That's not what the goal is. Nowhere in the scriptures are we taught to celebrate the birth of Jesus. Nowhere. Instead, we're told to offer the Eucharist, the celebration of his resurrection the celebration that he's coming again in the clouds of glory. And now our task is to prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. I know emotionally there is a magic about Christmas. It seems as though the magic settles down on the whole country. And then on December 26, December 27, there's a collective letdown because our expectations for being loved, for receiving that perfect gift that would say you're so precious. The relationships that we wanted to have that we don't have, the goals that we have that we 
have not been able to achieve. And then we settle into winter. This will be a dark winter of discontent. But but don't mind, we have the myth of Valentine's Day coming then. And then we'll have the myth that surrounds Easter, a pagan holiday. Christmas, a pagan holiday. We live and eat in America the myths of paganism in the American church with all of our rituals, with our church calendar. And in the face of all of that, the Holy Spirit has withdrawn from the American church. And so we don't have revival. When I look at all of this, my heart is heavy. I look over here in Matthew. In in Matthew, the third chapter, John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the desert, You, in literal Greek, you you prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. That you prepare is not singular, it's plural. So it wasn't just John the Baptist who was to prepare the way of the Lord. It was the people of God. And we don't know very much about the Essenes. Most of what we have known about Jewish history has come either from the scriptures or from the writings of the Pharisees, the Sadducees. But the Essenes were a desert community. They were a holy community. They prophesied the date of Jesus' coming. They prophesied that Jesus would be the son of the living God. He would be fully God and fully man. That he would die on the cross as an atoning sacrifice for the world, for the sin of the world. John the Baptist, probably, their indications that he left home at a very early age and went and lived in the desert with the Essenes. And now John the Baptist, he comes preaching as the voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord. You, all of you, prepare the way of the Lord. Essenes, prepare the way of the Lord. Pharisees, come on, get serious. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, you you varmin, you you serpents. Prepare the way for the Lord. I want you to hear, if you're going to remember the goal, the goal is to prepare the way for the coming of Jesus Christ in the clouds of glory. 
That is the goal of every true Christian believer. So don't be sidetracked by the sentimentality, the magic of the Christmas spirit that appears to be holy and good, but is not. It is a myth. It is not scripture. Now, will I be with people on Christmas? Yes. I'll give Christmas gifts to pagans. I'll give Christmas gifts to Muslims to say I love you, to draw their hearts out of kindness to Jesus. Will I have a Christmas tree in my house? No. I remember the last time I put a Christmas tree up. I I bought the tree. I brought it home. I set it up. I put all of my ornaments on the Christmas tree and the lights, and it was beautiful. And I stood there admiring this tree in my home. And the Lord said to me, I'm not pleased, Ray. Take it down. And I took it down. I threw the tree out. And I packed the ornaments away. I'm not telling you that you should not have a tree. The scriptures don't say, don't have a tree. But the danger of a tree is that it fits in with the myth of Christmas. I don't want anything to do with myths. Even yet, recognizing the power of that magical myth over America. And so I'll take the opportunity to lift up Jesus and to talk about Let's remember the goal. And I'm going to be telling the Christmas story as we move through this week and next week. We'll read the scriptures and we'll look at the literal coming and we'll look at what was the meaning of Jesus coming and why did he come as he did as a baby? Why was he born of a virgin? What was the significance of being born of a virgin? We'll look at all of these things. But today I want you to hear what John the Baptist, who was prepared by God to introduce Jesus, I want you to hear what he said about this Jesus. And I want you to see it is not the myth of Christmas. He saw the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing And he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. That's the first message of Christmas, of the birth of Jesus, not the myth. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees. This is before Jesus was announced to Israel. He's saying the God of heaven has looked at you, and the axe of God's judgment 
is right there at the root of your lives. We saw what God did in this horrific attack of the tornadoes through our southern United States. Please understand, these things are judgments from the hand of God that should awaken us. It doesn't fit, does it, with the myth of the sentimental Jesus who loves you unconditionally? Are you kidding me? The man who knew how to introduce the Messiah said the axe is already at the root of the trees. That's your life. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. That's John the Baptist's introduction for this Christ child who has now grown up and is about ready to begin his ministry. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Well, what is the chaff? The chaff are those men and women who call themselves Christians, but do not produce the fruit of repentance. See, that doesn't fit very well, does it? With the images we carry of a sentimental myth called Christmas. We need to take a whole new look at what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And today, if you have your arms wrapped around things, packages and shopping, food, if you have your arms wrapped around your lifestyle, your television and your entertainment, if you have your arms wrapped around all the stuff you want, if there are sins that dance around you that give you the bait of the devil. You need to produce the fruit of repentance to be ready for the Messiah to come. For he is no longer a baby in the manger. He grew up and he now sits at the right hand of God. He is the creator of heaven and earth. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he loves you with passion and love and forgiveness and mercy and long-suffering. He is the Christ. So let's not get caught in the myths of Christmas. But let's understand. It's not wrong to give gifts to people. It's not wrong to... Love others. All of that is a part of our commission. But remember the goal, and that is to prepare the way of the Lord. Remember the goal. To prepare the way of the Lord. He is coming in glory and power and majesty. Don't trust in sentimental myths. Don't be caught in the magic of Christmas and then be depressed after Christmas is over. 
Seek the face of Jesus. Fix your eyes on him. For he loves you. He died for you. Well, that's all the time we have today. We're coming to the halfway point of the month and we're not anywhere near where we should be financially. For some reason, offerings have just been very, very slow in coming in this month. Thank you for those of you who have given. Amelia, thank you. Dilip, thank you. Karen, thank you. Each of you who have given. Joanne, thank you. I pray you'll step forward and help me give this message that's not going to be easy to give over the next weeks and then start the new year with a deep study of the Word of God. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. That's nationalprayerchapel.com or write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. And I know God is calling some of you to come and be the vanguard of the Pentecost that I know is coming. If so, come and be a part of our worship service at the National Prayer Chapel. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, and you'll find all the information on where to find us and how to find us. God bless you. I love you. <laughs>